Would you please bow your heads for prayer? Spirit of truth, you have always been trying to get our attention through the cries of prophets, the whispers of saints, and the groans of the earth you have been calling to us for ages. As we grieve all that has been lost to destruction's hand, we renew our commitment to listening for sacred wisdom around us. With humility, we pray, come and lead us in the way of life. Amen. The reading today is from the Gospel according to John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21, and it is a continuation of last week's reading. Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will send another companion who will be with you forever. This companion is the spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor recognizes him. You know him because he lives with you and will be with you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them loves me. Whoever loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love them and reveal myself to them. The word of God, for the people of God, thanks be to God. I think it was the students who got to me this week. I saw a group of parents from the local high school organize an effort to adopt a senior by writing to them putting a sign in their yard, dropping off a card or a gift basket, and they posted photos of young people I have known from their kindergarten days with brave smiles in front of decorated doors. And I heard of teachers delivering cap and gown ahead of time to prepare for drive-by recognition of graduation a once-in-a-lifetime event. A high school principal who is a friend of mine is working 16-hour days so he can personally greet all 800 students as they return to school in scheduled groups of 10 in the building at a time, wearing masks to clean out their lockers. And a photo of my neighbor's fifth grader, opening his locker to a note he left himself back in March for just this moment. It said, welcome back, Jonah. After three weeks, for many of us, things are getting harder and not easier. 
Even for those households without students, the end of school marks the beginning of something we look forward to all year in Northeastern Ohio, summer. Outdoor concerts and picnics, fireworks and baseball games, travel, beaches, camps for kids, many which serve at-risk kids and employ teens for the summer. We are daily adjusting our expectations of what this new normal will be like and all that adjustment, disappointment, realignment, and perseverance takes a toll. You may be more tired than usual, not sleeping well, easily irritated or having trouble staying motivated. Every day, you are making the decision to get up and do it all over again when you don't know what's ahead. High school athletes are staying in shape in hopes that fall sports will compete. Musicians are practicing their music and actors are rehearsing their lines for when theaters open. And people of faith are trusting in God without knowing what's ahead. Friends, our daily practice is all about abiding in Christ, believing what we cannot see, and of holding on to hope even in the darkness. So these words from John's Gospel help to remind us during complicated and confusing times that the essence of abiding in Jesus is following his commandments. And as much as you search the Gospel of John to see what are these things that Jesus commands? You will only find one, one verse, one commandment. A chapter earlier in John 13, 34, I give you a new commandment, Jesus said. Love each other just as I have loved you. So you also must love each other. Jesus gave this commandment after sharing a last meal with his disciples before the crucifixion and after washing their dirty feet. During the meal and this extensive conversation, Jesus has been trying to prepare them for what is to come when they will experience his absence, when they will be practically immobilized by their own grief. How are they supposed to keep on loving then when they can no longer see Jesus or touch him when the physical distance is not temporary but defines their new normal? As Jesus comes quickly to the closing of his earthly ministry, all he can speak about is love and the assurance of the God who he knows so intimately as Father, the assurance that that God will continue to accompany them through another companion, who will also be their advocate in recognizing that God's love is what is most true. William Sloan Coffin once said, if we fail in love, we fail in all things else. So here Jesus is giving us not just the one commandment, 
but the courage and the strength to fulfill it by the gift of another companion, the Holy Spirit. The word here for companion in verse 16 is the word paraclete in Greek. It's difficult to translate because it's a combination of para, meaning beside or alongside, and kalen, to call. The word is filled with this complex meaning. The Spirit will replace Jesus as an advocate and a witness, but also console the disciples. So it's translated in our Bibles as advocate, like in a legal system, but also as comforter, companion, counselor, or helper. And that unique word for the Holy Spirit, paraclete, with all its various translations, points us to the range and the ways the Spirit of Jesus comes alongside us so we have the courage and the strength to love, even when we need just a little push. Back in college, I was into competitive bicycling for a while. DePauw had a race patterned after the one at nearby Indiana University, which is the largest collegiate bike race in the United States. Modeled after the Indianapolis 500, the riders compete in four-person teams around a quarter-mile cinder track at the stadium. The men's race is 200 laps or 50 miles, and the women's race is 100 laps or 25 miles. The race was the setting, if you saw it back then, for the 1979 movie called Breaking Away. Well, DePaul's Little 500 is just as long, but with far fewer spectators, of course. And that type of racing has a lot of potential crashes because you pass so closely to uh, the other racers, and every time you go around a curve, which is actually really scary on a track, two times in every lap you take, you have to lean in to the curve with your body and keep your bike out here upright and stable. I got into it because my then boyfriend and now husband was a pro at this cycling, or almost one. At least two members of his little 500 team did go on to become professional triathletes, which was not the case with mine. Our sorry crew of four college girls were more interested in the color of our uniforms back in those days than in how fast we were going, but we had a lot of fun, and we worked hard, and in addition to his own training, Tom volunteered to be the coach for our women's team. And we trained on country roads in rural Indiana for hours in a single line, with only a couple accidents along the way. But we had to like trade off the front spot so that we could take turns drafting off one another and get used to passing without much room like we would do on the track or like we were supposed to do on the track. Tom would ride with us as a coach and would yell at us to speed up or to slow down or to one of us go ahead and, and switch the front place. And then I'm not sure if this is standard coaching protocol in cycling, but when we hit the hills and we were having a hard time and I think he was getting a little bored, Tom would come up alongside whomever was riding in front and struggling while he was riding his own bike and put his hand on our back and give us a sustained push up the hill so we would make it to the top. I mean, 
It was the greatest thing ever to be so exhausted and have someone come alongside you and just push you along and then to be released at the top of the hill to just fly down all on your own. In the 30 years since, I have come up with no better illustration of the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, than that one. Strength from outside us, meeting the strength within us and giving us the courage to just keep going. The love that Jesus wants his hearers to embrace is, is not an abstract philosophical concept. It's a lived reality. It's revealed in the life, relationships, and actions of a simple man from Nazareth who looks and talks like his own disciples and lives simply among them. He feeds the hungry and touches lepers, heals the sick and speaks and acts toward women with care and regard. Love is seen in his life as service and compassion. It is also seen in his fierce protest against those who abuse the vision of the value of each person and the importance of an ethic of mutual regard and care. This kind of love is possible with the strong nudges from the Holy Spirit giving us the strength to carry on when we feel at our weakest. Mother Teresa of Calcutta famously left her record of a lifetime of struggle with the darkness that plagued her because for more than half her life, she didn't feel the presence of Christ. Nonetheless, among Christians, she has generally been accepted as a modern saint. Some consider her an even greater saint because in spite of the dark, she continued to be faithful, and even though she had not been gifted with spiritual certainty, she steadfastly pursued the mission to which she believed she had been called. She kept going, even when she didn't feel the presence. Jesus clearly promises his presence and the presence of the Spirit to those who keep his commandments to love and serve one another. We can't see the Holy Spirit but we sure can see the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits that Paul names as love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. God's Spirit can work anywhere, and throughout the Old and New Testament, God's Spirit shows up as wind and breath and wisdom and flame and dove and pillars of cloud and healing balm and a still, small voice. So how has the Holy Spirit nurtured and guided you to be more Christ-like? Back in September, when I'd only been here for a few weeks, there was a huge storm <laughs> right here in this area. And the power went out for several days, including the Sunday. And we gathered in the sanctuary without lights or a sound system. Remember when that was our biggest problem as a church? Our worship theme throughout the fall was unraveling. And we recognized all the ways our lives become unraveled and how God weaves us 
back together again, and we had no idea what was to come. But in those moments of literal darkness and uncertainty, when you barely knew me, you came alongside and offered help, a flashlight, portable speaker system, a willingness to pick up branches outside and to light candles, small kindnesses extended to a virtual stranger. I knew the Holy Spirit then was present and among us, and I know it still. The presence of our advocate is not in question. The Holy Companion reminds us what is most true about God's love and gives us the gifts to share that love. But instead, the question might be, what environment within us offers the most productive home for the Spirit to work powerfully in our lives? I have a few humble suggestions to share. And the first is to turn off the news. Not all the time, but much of the time. Your monitoring of the statistics of the pandemic will not change the numbers, and it may be making you more fearful. Find something educational, beautiful, or funny to watch instead and allow space for God's gift of peace to rest in your heart without taking on the burden of the world. And secondly, find someone to come alongside. Pick just two or three people in addition to your family and decide that you will be their advocate, that you will provide encouragement and comfort, a gentle push to help them go the distance. This is Holy Spirit work. It is discipleship work. And third, commit to the practice of the presence of God. Our text today tells us the Spirit lives with us and in us. Try to begin and end your day with prayer. Use the Bible study we send out on Sundays through email. Get used to acknowledging God in the daily tasks of washing dirty hands and feet. Jesus is in all those ordinary things that we do to stay alive and to love our neighbor. Nicholas Herman was a soldier in the Thirty Years' War, and then he was a footman before he became a monk. He changed his name to Brother Lawrence, and he has uh, this little book called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's very old. Brother Lawrence saw no difference between the time that he worked and his time of prayer. He said, in the noises and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the Blessed Sacrament. He saw his destiny to be the present day active practice of keeping his mind in God's holy presence, and he felt at home the more he integrated his practice with his everyday life. And we can do that too. A few days ago, one of you reminded me of a poem we used at Advent called Courage Can't Wait by Sarah R. You said that some of the words really stuck out to you in this age of COVID with new and ironic meaning. You quoted, to love is to pull oxygen from your lungs and to say, here, take a breath. 
To love is to come out from hiding, to allow the light to shine on you. So the next time you see me, remind me to be brave. The next time you see me, invite me to stand in the light with you. We all need a little push toward brave love and deeper faith. Holy Spirit, come. Come within us. Come alongside us and remind us of what is most true. Amen.